We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ, and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Good morning. It is good to be with all of you. Uh, We are in the last sermon in our series called Back to the Basics, which is a series that we've been walking through over the last few months in which we have kind of taken a step back and looked at what are some of the foundational questions of our faith. And so we took some time to look at questions like, what is the gospel? What does it mean to be saved? What is baptism? And then now today, we're even looking at the question, what is communion? And so today's the last sermon in that series. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have enjoyed looking together at what scripture has to say about all of these foundational things that help us understand just what it means to be the church. And so what it means to be the church on Christ's mission and his people. So... I've enjoyed that. I hope you have. Uh, where we're going after this week, next week we have uh, Homecoming Sunday, so we've got a special guest coming. You probably remember him. He has a red beard, uh, and his name is uh, Luke Bright. So, uh, so he's coming to preach next week. I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. And then after that, we're going to jump into the book of Jonah for about a month, and then come towards the holidays, we're going to jump into the gospel of Luke and begin to look at uh, this story of Jesus's life and ministry and exactly what it is that he has done for us. And so we're going to take some time and look at Luke. We're going to start around the holidays so that when we're looking at the Christmas story, it is actually Christmas time. And so we're going to be looking at those things in the coming months, and I'm excited about that. I uh, hope you will anticipate that with prayer with me. Uh, but today we have the question, what is communion? And so as we, as we start today, I want, to, I want to kind of challenge our perspective a little bit. Um, because because I, I, I wonder how often our experience with this meal has been individual has been about me and, and, and my sin and what Jesus has done for me. And I want to challenge us that though it is about those things, it is even more so about what Jesus has done for us, how Jesus has brought us together as his redeemed people, has made us family, and has called us to remember him in this meal together. And so I want you to be thinking through those lens about what it is that Jesus has done for us, not just me, but for us as God's people. And so as we start, I want to ask this, what have some of your experiences with communion been? You know, many of us, we've, we've come from different backgrounds and different churches, and, and we've grown up and, and celebrated this meal in different ways. And so maybe you were a part of a church that celebrated communion every single week, or maybe you were a part of a church that, you know, you just celebrated it once or twice a year or four times a year like we typically do. Or maybe uh, you've been a part of a church where kind of the setup has looked a little bit different than maybe you see here today. Uh, maybe you've been a church, at a church where they kind of have receiving lines where someone is serving communion and then the whole church gets up and they kind of go to these receiving lines as uh, the worship leader is leading the church in worship, and they're partaking of the elements as they come through the line together. 
Uh, or maybe you've seen it set up kind of like this, where there's a table and then we all partake of the meal together and we wait uh, so that we can do that as a family. And then maybe you've even heard communion called different things. You know, so we hear it called communion, we hear it called the Lord's Supper, we hear it called uh, this really funny word that most of us don't know what it means, the Eucharist. Okay? And so there's all these different ways in which many of us have experienced this meal. And we come from all sorts of backgrounds coming to this meal this morning. And, and, and the important questions are not necessarily, though, though it's good to think through them, not necessarily the primary questions are not, how, how often should you do this? Or, or what should the setup look like? Or, or how should it be carried out? Or what should it be called, even? The most important question is, what is communion? What does communion mean? Why do we celebrate it? Why is it important? Why would we sing about what Jesus has done for us in breaking his body and shedding his blood to redeem us and then celebrate it in a visual way like this? So what is communion? That's our, that's our question today, and we're going to look at a couple of passages in Scripture primarily, uh, Luke chapter 22 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And just uh, because I am a book lover, as most of you all know, um, if you are interested in learning more about communion, the Lord's Supper, and you have some more questions, because we, Lord knows I can't get to all the questions in, in 30 to 40 minutes, um, there are a couple books I would recommend to you. One is called The Lord's Supper, Remembering and Proclaiming Christ Until He Comes, okay? So that's one book I'd recommend. And then the other is 40 Questions About Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so... Uh, these will be up here on the table. Please don't take them. I need them. But you're welcome to look at them and see if it would be something that interests you as you further dive into these questions. So, but with that said, Luke 22 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to see four things that communion helps us do. First, we're going to see that communion helps us understand God's story of redemption. Second, we'll see that communion helps us remember what Christ has done for us. Thirdly, we'll see that communion helps us proclaim what Christ has done for us. And then lastly, we'll see that communion helps us examine our lives or even our life as a corporate body, the church. So, firstly, communion helps us understand God's story of redemption. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7. So what you'll notice here, as you turn to Luke chapter 22, you'll notice something, hopefully quickly, as you read kind of the headings that are in your Bible, you'll notice that we're starting in verse 7 where it says the Passover. And then if you skip down a few verses in verse 14, that's where it begins to talk about the Lord's Supper. Well, sometimes in your English version of the Bible, those, those headings are not inspired Scripture. They're, they're helpful tools to kind of summarize what's going on in a certain paragraph or section of Scripture. But these two topics here, the Passover and the institution of the Lord's Supper, are actually meant to be seen together. So as we read them, I want you to think about that, and then we'll kind of walk through how communion actually helps us understand what God has done for his people in the past, what he's doing in the present, and what he will do for us in the future. So Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7, here's what we read. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So, you know, as I I read through that passage, and and I'm kind of visualizing what's happening here between Jesus and his disciples, you know, they're like, Lord, where do we go to prepare this meal that we celebrate together? And and he says, oh, hey, well, there's going to be this guy. He's carrying some water. And and what you're going to do is you're just going to follow him as he goes into his house. And, And if I'm the disciples in that moment, I'm thinking... Should we knock? I mean, because, you know, that's not my house. But, but Jesus, being God in the flesh revealed to us, knows exactly what's going to happen and, and assures his disciples, hey, this is how you know the guy to approach and the guy to ask about this. And he's going to have this room where we can celebrate this meal together. And so the disciples, they go and they, they go to prepare this meal called the Passover. And, and our question, when we come to, to think about this, when we see the Passover and then Jesus goes on in, in these coming verses and he institutes the Lord's Supper, this meal called communion that we celebrate together. He, he, he institutes it as he's celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And, and we're wondering, why then? Why, why would Jesus do this then? Why would he pick now? And it's intentional. It's, it's for a purpose. So there, there was one year where my wife and I, we went to Missouri to surprise my mom for her birthday. And, and she had no idea where we were coming. And, and so we, we showed up at the restaurant where we, gonna, we were going to meet her and my aunt and a good friend of hers. And, and, and we showed up, and she had no idea where we were coming. And, and then, of course, you know, she comes in, and she's crying because we live in Louisville, and she lives in Missouri. And you know, we don't get to see each other very often. And, and then we sit down for a meal together. And it's this really nice restaurant in my hometown where, you know, they, they, serve, they serve the steak that you could never afford and the wine that you would probably never buy. And, and, and they serve this beautiful meal for us. And, and as, as the drinks are coming out, the, this friend of my mother's who's, who's Jewish gets her wine and then she asks me about communion. And, and she said, hey, hey, I'm Jewish, so I don't really know uh, what you guys mean by communion. Like, what's that all about? And I said, well, you're Jewish, right? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, do you remember the Passover? Do you celebrate the Passover? And she said, of course. And I said, well, do you remember how it originated? And she said, yeah, I think so. And I said, well, well yeah. So if we, if we think back on the Passover... There's, there's this period in the Bible in which Israel is held captive in Egypt for hundreds of years, and then they're longing for God to do something. They're longing for him to bring about their redemption. And then he does. We read about this event called the Exodus, where, where God delivers his people out of slavery from Egypt and brings them into the wilderness headed for the promised land. And, and as he delivers his people, there's, there's this event that happens. There's these plagues. 
So, so as he's trying to get Pharaoh to, to release his people, he, he sends this series of plagues. And then this last plague has to do with the death of the firstborn. And so, so the angel of death is going to go throughout the land of Egypt. And every home that is not covered with the blood of the lamb is going to experience death. And so the Israelites, they, they sacrifice lambs that were pure, and they then spread the blood across their door frames so that when the angel of death comes through, he passes over them. So that literally death passed over God's people because of the blood of the lamb that was slain. And I said, that's what communion's about. That's why Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper as he's celebrating the Passover with his disciples. is because they're looking back and remembering how God delivered his people by the blood of a lamb that was slain. And you say, what do you mean, Pastor Grant? I don't see a lamb in the passage here. Well, we actually have to go to the book of Revelation to see this connection with the lamb. But first, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, this is how Paul refers to Jesus. He says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So as I'm sitting there with, with this friend of my mom's at dinner and kind of explaining communion, this is where I started. I said, I said, you know what Passover is all about. Well, Passover is pointing to the lamb that would once and for, for all be slain for God's people. There would be no more sacrifices necessary ever because Jesus paid the full price. He died as the lamb that was slain. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 5, we read some things about Jesus in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. Here's what we read in Revelation 5. It says, And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your Blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the th- around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This is how the Bible talks about Jesus. At the end, in the book of Revelation, it describes Jesus as the lamb that was slain for God's people, who ransomed a people for God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so communion, it helps us to look back on what God has done, and to look forward to what God will do. Jesus in Luke 22, back to Luke 22, here's what he says in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. 
And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's referring to the cross that he'll die on. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus, he's, he's, he's saying there's going to be a day when we sit together again and we eat again in the kingdom. He's pointing to a future meal. So he says, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Again, he's pointing to the the end of times when the kingdom is fully established, when he'll sit with his people again. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, the cu- this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so Jesus, as he talks about the Lord's Supper, as he institutes this or ordains it, commands it, as he tells his disciples to do this in remembrance of him, it's in the context of him eating the Passover with his disciples. There ought to be a connection that we see here. Do you remember what it said? Then then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so as they celebrated the Passover, they would have celebrated it with unleavened bread, which which could be made quickly, which kind of helps them remember their, their quick escape from Egypt as God delivered his people from slavery. And they would have also had it in the context of a meal where they would have, have drank from the fruit of the vine as well. And so Jesus, as he's celebrating these elements that that Israel had looked back and remembered what God had done for them in the past, he says, okay, now, here's what I'm going to do in the present. This this bread that we eat, it's going to be my body broken for you. This, this cup that we drink, it's going to be my, my blood shed for you as I suffer on the cross soon. And he says, so, so when I'm gone, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of what I've done. So Jesus, it, 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 there's this beautiful aspect of communion where it helps us understand God's story of redemption. It kind of it connects the Bible for us. It, it helps us understand how this is not separate accounts and, and, and divided stories that are just kind of assembled together. This is one grand redemptive story that God has been about from the beginning. We look back as we celebrate on what God did for his people in delivering them from slavery. We look Presently, what Jesus has done for his people in giving his life as the lamb who was slain for God's people. And we look forward to the day in which we will sit with Jesus in the kingdom at the end of all things and we'll enjoy yet another meal together. This meal in Revelation chapter 19 is called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. It says in 19.9, And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. You see, there's, there's these three meals in Scripture. There's the Passover meal in the Old Testament. 
that, we, that Jesus says, look back on this. There is communion, which we celebrate again and again until Jesus comes. And there's this meal that we're looking forward to where those who belong to God's people will once again sit with Christ and eat at the wedding supper of the Lamb. These meals, they they connect the story of Scripture of what God is doing to redeem his people for us. Marriage is is about this this uniting of, of a bride and her husband, right? And, and so when we think of a marriage celebration, we, we think of how this, this couple just got married, they just made vows, they just were united together, and also what happens with that is afterwards they celebrate this meal where their families are there and their friends are there because not just have two people been brought together, but two families have been made one. See, marriage is about the uniting of a bride and her husband and the making of a new family. That's what communion ought to get us to think about, is how what Christ has done has brought together a people redeemed by God, has brought together and made a new family of God. He's brought us together to eat together, friends, family. This this body broken, this blood shed, it unites us around a table together. Because families eat around the table together. See, Jesus has brought together a people which will be made up of peoples from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so we celebrate this meal looking back on what God has done, looking at what Christ has done on the cross, and then looking forward to that day when we sit with all our fellow believers in heaven with Christ in the kingdom, and we eat the wedding supper of the Lamb celebrating together that Jesus has united himself with this church and that that never ends. So communion helps us understand how the story of the Bible fits together. It helps us understand God's redemptive plan for history. Secondly, communion helps us remember what Christ has done for us. Look at verses 19 and 20. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after he had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus says what communion is about is is remembering. And it's about remembering something specific that he's going to do. He, he institutes the supper with his disciples before he dies on the cross, but he, he gives them the imagery to understand what he's about to do as he hangs on the cross and bleeds out for them. He says, take this bread and break it and eat it and remember what I'm about to do for you. Take this cup and drink it and remember that this blood was poured out for you. He says, we ought to remember because communion is a, is a symbol It's a visual representation of the gospel. It helps us understand exactly what it is that Jesus has done for his people. See, symbols, they they help us remember what is true because of what has happened. And so when you think about your wedding ring, your your wedding ring represents that, that you're married because in the past you made vows to someone. 
And when you think about a a diploma, it it symbolizes that you have a degree because in the past there was a time where you studied and then graduated. And when we think about the two things that Jesus has given us as symbols to understand the gospel, we think about baptism. Well, baptism is this symbol that points to what Jesus has already done in you in saving you. It points to this reality that, that you have died with Christ as you're submerged under the water and that you've been risen to new life through his resurrection. It's a symbol that illustrates the gospel and proclaims it. And similarly, with communion, it is also a, a symbol. It, it, Jesus is, is saying that we need to, to celebrate this to remember what it is that he has done. Communion symbolizes that you don't have to pay for your sins because Christ has already paid the penalty through his broken body and his shed blood. Communion, it's practice to remember that Christ's body was broken for you and given for you. It's practice to help us remember that Christ's blood was, was poured out and shed for you and I. That, that cup imagery in the Bible, it it often points to the wrath of God. The cup is, also, is throughout Scripture used to refer to God's wrath. And the idea of the cross is that the cup of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus instead of you and me. And so Jesus says this is the blood of the new covenant. This is how you and I have relationship with God is because Jesus stood in our place. It's because the cup of God's wrath was poured on him and not on us. So Jesus says, remember my broken body and blood shed for you. This gives great hope for both sufferers and sinners, which is all of us. As we walk through suffering in life and we look at the cross, what we see is a God who's willing to enter into our pain, who's willing to be brutally abused, broken, and shed his blood to identify with the pain we experience in a broken world. As sinners, we look at the cross and and we rejoice because the God who made us and who said, here's here's the good way, walk in this, this this will bring life. If If you just hear me and walk in my ways, And yet we rebelled against him. We said, you know what? I know better. I'm smarter than you, God. We wouldn't have the audacity to say that out loud. But it drives our actions, doesn't it? We know God says this is what's best for us, and then we go over here and we do this, because in actuality, our functional belief, even if our intellectual belief is that God knows what is best, our functional belief, the one that we act upon, is that I know best. And so we rebel against him, and yet, even though we rebelled against him, God himself came and took on flesh and lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And then he died the death that we should have died. He was brutally beaten for us. His body was broken. He hung on a cross as nails were driven through his hands and his feet. And 
he drop by drop bled out all the while doing it out of love for you and me. So there's incredible hope in this meal as we remember exactly what it is that Jesus has done for us. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. What does that mean? Well, covenants in in Scripture are the way in which God relates to his people. They're in covenant relationship, which is this relationship of complete commitment. It's not meant to be broken. It's not meant to end. That's why we say marriage is a covenant, right? It's this relationship in which there's vows made between two parties. It's not meant to end. It's meant to keep lasting because it's a covenant, And these covenant commitments or or relationships in Scripture, they were often accompanied by these ceremonies in which vows were made, and then there were were understood consequences if if those vows were broken. And and to kind of symbolize that, oftentimes there would be some sort of of animal whose body would be broken and, and blood would be shed, symbolizing that this covenant was made and... There were serious consequences if the covenant was broken, namely even death. And so we think back with um, kind of Abraham's story and his relationship with God. And when God establishes his covenant with Abraham, there's this beautiful covenant ceremony where, where what would happen is they would take these animals, split them in two, and then kind of line them down the path. And what you would do is you would walk through them with the understanding that you were making a covenant there was a relationship that wasn't supposed to be broken, an agreement. And that as you walked through them, you were saying, if you broke the covenant, your fate would be like the animals you were walking through. And, and what happens there is, is incredible. Because it should have been Abraham walking through, saying, God, I, I know if I break your covenant, then, then this is my fate. But instead, God's own presence walks through on behalf of Abraham, pointing us forward to the day when Jesus would die for covenant breakers like you and me. God was saying, Abraham, when you break this covenant, I'll take the punishment. And so, and so covenants often involved this shedding of blood. And the new covenant involves the shedding of the blood of the Son of God so that God's people would never be separated from him. He says, this is the blood of the new covenant. It's shed for you so that yours wouldn't have to be. So, so Jesus says, remember, in 1 Corinthians 11, we read this from Paul. As he's talking about communion, in verse 23, here's what we read. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And, and, and can we just pause there? Like, as Jesus is instituting this supper, as he's talking about the great love with which he has for his people, as he's talking about suffering for them, his body being broken for them, his blood being shed for them, all the while he's doing it on the same day, the same night, that one of his closest friends is going to betray him. 
One of his closest friends is going to turn him over to those who would kill him. And, and he institutes this supper then. It's incredible, the love with which he has for us. He took bread, and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We've already read that in Luke, right? And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. First, we see in verse 23 there that, that Paul got the, these instructions. They were passed down from Jesus himself. So this meal was continually celebrated by the church of Jesus Christ because Jesus gave this to his disciples and they continually passed down that teaching to those who began to follow Christ. I said, this is, this is what Jesus commanded us to do. This is an ordinance. This is a, a, something that was commanded or ordained. That's where we get that word ordinance. It was ordained by Jesus for his church to do, for, for his people to celebrate and remember what he had done for them. And so we celebrate it because it's commanded by Jesus. Jesus ordained this along with baptism for the church to celebrate as these two visual pictures of the gospel. These ordinances, they're not optional. They're commanded by Christ. They're things that, that as Christians and as the church, we do together. We celebrate them to remember what Jesus has done. We also see in 1 Corinthians 11 this, this kind of hint that, that the early Christians, they, they did this as often as they gathered. They got together and, and they celebrated this meal regularly. Jesus intended for his church to celebrate this regularly. And, and it's, not a, it's not a hill to die on to say, well, you have to do it X amount of times each year. The, that's not the point. The point is, when we, when we read things like that for often as phrase that we read in uh, verse 25 and 26... Jesus says about the cup, he says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then in verse 26, he says, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, and then in Acts chapter 2, we, we read that the church constantly was getting together and, and breaking bread together. And what most think is that, that they were getting together and they were celebrating this meal, this communion, this Lord's Supper. Each time they gathered, they would remember what Christ had done. They would break the bread together and eat it together. They would drink of the cup together and remember his blood shed for them. The idea was this was to be done regularly. And again, it's not, it's not about, okay, well, you have to do it four times a year, or you have to do it every week, or that's not the point. I think throughout church history, you know, we kind of saw this pattern of, you know, in the early church, it seems like they did it every time they gathered, probably on a weekly or even more frequent basis. And then when we get into the Middle Ages, that's when communion kind of, it kind of slowed down a little bit, where, where churches stopped celebrating it every week. And then we get a, a little further into history and, and, and the church history, and then we see that churches are only requiring that communion be celebrated by members once a year to retain their membership in the church. 
And then it, it kind of becomes this pattern where we celebrate it less frequently. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, friends, that means we've got to do this regularly. We, we have got to celebrate this meal. It's too important. Because Jesus said, this is one of the ways in which you remember what I've done. It's an act of worship. It's an act of celebration. It's a meal you take together. And so does that mean you do it every week? If you want to, sure. Does that mean you do it four times a year? Some churches like ours in the past, that's what we've done. The point is we celebrate this regularly and we ought to do so. And if we're not celebrating it regularly, that's a problem. Because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do it frequently, as often as you gather together. Thirdly, communion helps us to proclaim what Christ has done for us. In 11.26 there in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did you know that communion is about preaching the gospel? It's, it's not just about what we remember, church. It's about what we proclaim. As we gather together and as we celebrate this meal, as we partake of it together, we're not just remembering. We are proclaiming that Jesus has done this. We are saying this is what is true. We are saying to one another that Jesus has shed his blood and broken his body for us. We are saying to those who do not yet believe and trust in Christ that Jesus has broken his body and shed his blood for the sins of the world. And if you'll just trust in Christ, then that is true for you as well. We are proclaiming the gospel as we celebrate communion, just as we proclaim the gospel when we celebrate baptism. In baptism, we celebrate that Jesus has brought new life and, and redemption from sin. And in communion, we celebrate that Jesus has broken his body and shed his blood for our sins so that we might have a new covenant relationship with God that does not end because he died in our place. We, the covenant breakers, do not have to bear the penalty for breaking God's commands if we trust in the broken body and the shed blood of the lamb that was slain. We proclaim this as we celebrate communion. Believers are reminded that you have no debt to pay with God. Christ has already paid that price for you. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you're struggling with even now. Some of you, you're holding on to guilt from relationships that you've severely damaged in your past. Some of us, we're, we're holding on to shame for sexual sin that we committed yesterday. Some of us, we're, 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 we're even now crippled by anxiety, depression, anger, and we're really struggling to trust God and to find hope and joy in Him. Communion is this beautiful celebration that Jesus, wherever you're at, whatever you're struggling with, broke his body and shed his blood for your sins so that you might be in relationship with him and relationship with God's people forever. 
It doesn't doesn't matter what you've done. Christ paid the penalty for it. That doesn't mean that you continue to go on sinning. You know, Paul kind of raises this question in Romans, and he says, so, so should we just abound in sin so that grace abounds all the more? He says, no, because then we've misunderstood grace. We've misunderstood the kind of love with which God has for us and, and demonstrated in the cross. See, an understanding that Jesus has paid your penalty transforms your heart and life so that you progressively are growing in Christ, pursuing him more, learning to love him more. And part of remembering him in this meal is doing that. Church, as as we celebrate this, we're remembering and proclaiming that remembering part of that It ought to be us growing in our love for God as we continually reflect on what he's done for us on the cross. That ought to shape and mold our hearts and our actions. It ought to transform the way we live. If you truly understand what it is that Jesus has done for you, the the new prominent desire of your heart is no longer about you, it's about him. If you understand the way in which God has loved you, then what it drives you to do is to love God more and to love your neighbor more, which inherently involves turning away from sin, following after Jesus, and progressively growing in his sanctifying grace. Believers are reminded of these things as we celebrate communion. And unbelievers, those who have not trusted in Christ, they're told, you're currently in danger. Because this cup of God's wrath is poured out in Christ, but his, his death is, is for those who trust in him, who place their faith in him, who receive the gift that God is offering. And so right now, if, if you're not a part of this new covenant people of God, if you've not trusted in Christ, you are in danger and are underneath the wrath of God, his impending judgment. We don't like to hear things like that. But it's true, and if we don't say it, we're doing a disservice and not loving those around us. This, this meal, when we say, if you've not trusted in Christ, then we ask you not to partake of this. We're saying that this meal has no, has no value for you. Taking of the bread and of the cup... It doesn't save you, just like baptism doesn't. You have to trust in Christ. You have to receive the gift he's offering to you. And and when we say, please don't take this meal if that's not you, what we're saying is, is not that we want you to get out. We want you to get in. We so badly want you to be a part of this family, which means you've got to see where you're at right now, that God's judgment will come, that you are in sin, and that you need the grace of God that is found only in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. This is what this meal proclaims. We proclaim the gospel until he comes. And finally, communion helps us examine our lives. And not just individually, but as a church. 
So Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, I want, you, I want you to see what he's talking about here. Because when we think about this idea of examining, typically what you and I think of is, is you know what, I, I've got to take some time to reflect. I, I've got some sin remaining in my heart. I need to deal with that before I can and take the bread and take the cup. And it's not that you shouldn't deal with the sin in your heart. That's not what I'm saying. But I want you to see what Paul is saying. As he talks about this idea of examining, He's talking more about our love for one another. So in 1 Corinthians 11, but in the following instructions, starting in verse 17, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I won't. I will not. Paul looks at the Corinthian church, and he sees a problem and the way that they're treating one another around this meal. He sees that the rich are, are, are coming to the table, and they're, they're bringing their own meal, and they're, and they're eating and enjoying it, and then the poor are suffering in need. And there's deep, these divisions in the body of Christ, where, where the rich are not caring for the poor in the way that Jesus cared for the poor and needy by demonstrating his love for us and shedding his blood and breaking his body. He says the way in which you are acting towards one another is not consistent with which the way in which Jesus has demonstrated his love for his people. Because all of us are poor and needy before God. And Jesus came and gave everything that he had that we might have what we actually need in him. He looks at the church, Paul Paul does, and he says, the way you're acting, the way you're celebrating this meal is not reflecting that. So he goes on and and he, he warns them of partaking in an unworthy manner. He says those who partake in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord because they've not understood this great sacrificial love with which Jesus gave of himself and instead they are, are focused on themselves. And so they identify more with those who crucified Christ rather than those whom he was crucified for. So he says let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so if we partake of this meal, church, without thinking about the ways in which we treat one another, then we partake in an unworthy manner. Then we invite God's Loving, disciplining judgment. Friends, we have to think about one another as we think about what Jesus has done for us. Paul wants us to get our eyes off of ourselves onto God 
which makes us look around at one another. And so, so am I saying don't deal with your personal sin? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I, what I am saying is that just as communion caused us to look back and to look forward, it causes us to look around. And if we're not looking around, then we're making a huge mistake. I'm saying as we, as we examine this morning, which we're going to do in here, here in just a moment before we take together, we need to ask ourselves questions like, are, are you causing divisions in the church that Christ died to unite? Are, are you neglecting the poor and needy that Christ gave his life for? Are you expecting others to give and meet needs in the community of faith and in the surrounding community while holding on to your own resources greedily, holding on to your own finances and time and saying, you know what, other people should give to meet those needs, not me. Are you living in sexual sin and neglecting to see others as created in God's image, as image bearers with inherent value, dignity, and worth? Are you harboring bitterness and resentment towards another believer that's driving a wedge between you despite Christ's reconciling love? Are you biting and devouring one another on social media and gossiping about one another behind each other's backs and then avoiding them or acting like nothing's wrong in public? Some of you guys are tired of me addressing the whole social media thing, but I'm going to keep doing it until we figure this thing out. Because we have a problem in the way that we act towards one another. And... And the broken body and shed blood of Jesus is an opportunity not only for us to think about how God has reconciled us to himself, but how he has reconciled us to one another as the people of God. So I'm going to ask the deacons to come here in just a moment as I begin to pray. And they're going to take the elements and begin to serve as, as we begin to sing together. And as I pray... I want us to do something a little different than what we have typically done in this kind of idea of examining ourselves. I want us to ask God to help us examine us as a a church, as a family, who are redeemed by God, called to be a part of this together, and to celebrate this meal with one another. And so I'm, I'm going to pray, and, and what I would ask is just that as I pray, w- would, you, would you pray with me? If you want to pray out loud, that's fine. If you want to pray silently, that's fine as well. But, but would you not just listen to me pray, but would you pray for God's reconciling work in each of us and with us together? Because Christ has died to bring us together with him and with one another. And so we're going to celebrate together. Uh, The deacons are going to serve the meal, and I'd ask that you hold on to the bread and the cup, and as the music stops, I'll come back, and I'll invite us to partake of those together, and we'll celebrate, and then we'll conclude our celebration with a, a meal downstairs as we eat together, pray together, talk with one another, and have a good time. So, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you right now for what you've done. God, we pause to remember. We 
we are grateful that you have broken your body and shed your blood, not just for us as individuals, but for us as, as your church, as your bride. God, you've reconciled us to yourself through the cross. So God, we, we need your help as we, as we seek to live in light of that. Would you transform our hearts and our minds? Would you shape and mold our actions as we seek to live in a way that is consistent with what you've done for us on the cross? Would you help us to be sacrificial in our love for one another? Would you help us to think about the unity of this beautiful body that you have built and brought together as your people? God, would you forgive us where we have fallen short of these things? God, we rejoice that, that that's possible because of what this meal celebrates. And so, God, we ask for your help. Would you help us as we examine our hearts, as we examine who we are as the people of God, would you help us to partake of this meal in a worthy way? Because we're not worthy, but you have given us your righteousness. And so we get to sit together and take this meal together, not because of anything in us, but because of everything that is in you. And so God, we look to you today as a people as your church, as this local church, as Jefferson Town Baptist Church, we look to you, Jesus. And we celebrate, we remember, and we proclaim your death until the day that you come. And we sit with you once again at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So we ask you bless our time, bless this meal as we honor you with it and your glorious, mighty, and awesome name. Amen.